Welcome to this week's episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Michelle Hamadash and today I'm joined in the studio with the wonderful Jimmy Van and we are talking about Kafka's Metamorphosis. Well, Jimmy, why is it that we're in the studio today, a century or so after the publication of the book which sees um, man turn to... Is it insect? Is it cockroach? Well, that's, is that's it one bug? Of the, I think that's one of the, the uh, wonderful mystery about this particular story. So we actually don't know what he turns into. I mean, we know he turns into a bug. Or an insect. Yeah, but, but, that, but that's... And, and it depends on the translation itself too. I mean, I, I remember seeing a translation... Or vermin, actually. Vermin, vermin is another... Yeah, so vermin, there's bug, there's insect. I don't think it ever goes anywhere specific as a cockroach. I think we always uh, imply cockroach, mainly because the cover looks like it's a cockroach or something like that. Um, so we always think about cockroach, but I think it's uh, it's left a little bit of a mystery what exactly he is. Well, I think it's also because we, I, I think that in terms of the imagery of that opening where we get the sense of, of, an, of some sort of insect with some sort of armour. Yes. Um, for me, as soon as the, it, I go straight to cockroach, but even yeah. though that's but, not... But cockroaches don't tend to have armour though, I mean, see when you said armour, I go straight to beetle. So I think of like a, you know, a beetle which has an um, exoskeleton um, which is quite tough. Uh, whereas a cockroach, they're, they're kind of quite fragile, actually, unless you're thinking of those really disgusting, big, fat, juicy land cockroaches. Well, and also because, I mean, without spending too much time on the cockroach, <laughs> but actually cockroaches vary so much because you've got those enormous yeah. ones and then you've got the little ones. And, mm. you know, and so I, it, yeah. it, it, is, it is one of those moments where, um, you know, sort of the art of translation and, you know, you know sort of the, the, the power of, 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 you know, sort of connotation mm. really sort of multiplies the possibilities. Yeah. And, and, and cockroach is a vermin. And so I think that's where a lot of people turn towards cockroach because it's, it's a type of vermin. It's, it's a bug at the same time. So the assumption is, I think, that he, he is a cockroach. But the text is very careful not to, to make it very specific. We know that he has more legs than he probably needs to. So he's, he's got probably about six legs. So he's some sort of insect. We know he's got some um, sort of hard... He's got feelers. He's got feelers, yeah. And hard exoskeleton. So we we know he's he's a bug. (laughs) We know that much, but we don't quite know exactly what it is. And I think that's sort of the point as well. It's sort of left to our imagination what we think it is. You go straight towards cockroach, and I think I steer away from cockroach mainly because I can't stand cockroaches. They just give me the creeps (laughs) in general. So I imagine... Uh, more of a, a beetle in, in my mind, and especially because there's there's one scene which is meant to be comic of him on his back trying to get himself upright again, and, and or not, scuttling the yeah, scuttling thresholds, yeah. or you know, sort of the ceilings and, and the, the movement. And and I think one of the things that I will never forget is the very first time I read um, the Metamorphosis, and you know, sort of always having heard because I think the reputation of of Kafka uh, precedes him always, yeah. and being left with this overwhelming sense of the complete contradiction between the banality of the the language and the complete uh, sort of understatement of this sort of mind-boggling event and the tension mm. between the ordinariness of the domestic scene versus the strangeness of 
the the, the transformation itself yeah. was something that I remember reading and rereading because it's I, it's startling. Yeah, I felt as though something was wrong in my mm. cognition that I'd misread either the the, the insect or I'd misread yeah. his reaction or there was something that yeah. wasn't quite. Because I mean, I'm, I'm working on memory here, but basically it starts off with a very banal line of you know uh, was it uh, one one morning. Um, Gregor woke up to find that he had turned into a after a night of tormented night of tor- dreams. Yeah, to turn that he had turned into a verminous bug or something to that effect. Um, and the translation, whether it's verminous bug or a vermin bug or, or vermin or insect. or insect or something like that, that's up to the translator to some degree. I mean, I don't read any French at all. So, did you did you read this in the, in the French version, Michelle? No, Italian. Ita- oh, Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, um, I don't know why. So, so we've got an international. <laughs> well, so so uh, you, in your edition, what do you remember? Insetto gigantesco. Mm. So a, a giant insect. Giant insect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the version I read, and I can't remember the translator now, I'm terrible with names uh, lately, I have no idea why, I think we're losing my mind. Uh, the version that I read basically said verminous bug. Uh, which I thought was quite an interesting thing because it then shaped what the way I saw this text from this point onwards. Because every other edition I've read of it had not gone as far as to call it a verminous bug. And even your edition, which is giant insect, is quite neutral. Whereas saying calling something a verminous bug um, has a very negative connotation to it. And obviously copious amounts of scholarship have concerned mm. themselves with the connotations, because it's the connotations and it's the usage yes. um, of the original, which I can't do, I don't know yeah. the original um, <laughs> German, but you can already see that, you know, sort of just by carrying it across to, you know, sort of say, for example, the Italian versus the English versus the various versions of the English, etc., mm. you do get that very different feeling. But I, I think that it's that... Um, I, I think what I what really endures is that uh, sort of preposterous notion that somebody finds themselves transformed into a bug, and yet their first concern is that they're going to be late for work. Yes. And is there some way of them still showing up mm. for work? <laughs> you know, sort of. Could they still like miss fall. that? Even though they may have missed the first train, could they get the second train? Yes. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, sort of the text has been read along so many lines, mm. you know, sort of from the uh, the notion of uh, sort of alienation, um, you know, sort of uh, along Marxist lines, thinking through work, mm. um, the domestic, yeah. uh, you, you know, the, 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 the surreal. The, the, there's just... I think that it's just it's 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 a real Pandora's box, um, and it, it it it's got that characteristic absurdity, yes. um, which I think is 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 so powerful, and mm. and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, it does continue to hold a place and capture imaginations because you know sort of the more that the world sort of um, overwhelms you in a, in, a, in in its banality and its sensible in a, in its sensibleness, you know, sort of the more that you start to yearn for these explorations of the what if. Yeah, um, and I think it really um, uh, rings true to contemporary readers at the moment because, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was working my 95 job in another life, another time, uh, I understood exactly that feeling that he was talking about where you get up and you feel so um, alienated, almost disenfranchised, you know, unmoored by the experience of having to work every day of your life, you know, nine to five, five days a week, uh, that you feel uh, disconnected from everything around you, and yet you still feel this strange sense of obligation that I still have to go to work. 
Well, it's it's interesting because I think that you know, sort of particularly familial environment where uh, sort of Gregor is actually uh, you know sort of feeling the weight of being the breadwinner, you know, mm. sort of the one who's who's supporting a family, yes. so that his options for choice uh, don't exist. Mm. Um, you know, and, a and huge it, sense of responsibility, yeah. which makes you know his income not only sort of completely expended by you know sort of the living of the family, so that there's nothing left over. That there's no there's there's, there's no reward factor for mm. his work, yeah. um, and in fact he's not he's not even really deeply appreciated. No, not um, at all. Yeah. And I, I think that the other thing that w- is fascinating because you know sort of rather than give us a sort of a simplistic idea of work as purely sort of alienation and negative, you also see the other end of it when the father actually, even though he's always an objectionable character, he's almost reborn through his need to take up the mantle of work, mm. you know, and the sister as well. So, so, so there's this sort of strange uh, reinvigoration of a father who was sort of wasting away as, mm. a, as a sort of a, um, I guess, what would you say, he, he was pretty much uh, a sponge. He was pretty mm. much sponging off, off Gregor. Well, they all were, yeah. Um, to, you know, sort of this new circumstance where, you know, sort of rather than sort of any sort of sense of, any sense of sympathy or, I mean, there's definitely horror, mm. uh, but not horror in the way that I think you would anticipate horror being expressed. No. Uh, not in the sense of running, screaming through the streets, what's happened, what's happened? Yeah, I mean, it's it's more, I think, nightmarish. And contained. Yeah. The, the idea that you can contain the nightmare by keeping him shut in his room. Yeah, I mean. Um, and keep appearances up. So that yeah. you can even have borders. Remember the borders? Borders, the borders who come in um, and then are... Ex- and they're treated so much better than he is. Yes. Treated better than he is and then are exposed to the to, to Because the they bring in income as well. Well, they, they bring in the income, but also just that uh, sort of... Uh, the, the, the violence and, and, and also because that throwing of the, of the, of the food... Uh, it, it's 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 so imbued with the, the the worst side, you know, the contempt. You know, it's it's what you do to the thing that you despise, mm, the yeah. lowly, poor performer mm. um, that you that you throw rotten things at. Yeah, which um, then sticks to him in a very metaphorical way. Um, the, the, I think it was an well, apple, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, no, it, it's an apple, and and particularly because it's thrown by the father, and so you have that whole idea of original sin that's yes. bound up in this story between yeah. dysfunctional fathers and sons where the son inherits mm. the father's sins yeah. in a way that actually uh, he's unable to free himself from yeah. because essentially the father wins yeah I mean I think one of the reasons I really like this particular text is it's heavily um, image uh, image driven I mean there's a, there's a lot of metaphors and imagery associated uh, with it and symbolism in particular. Uh, and I find it really fascinating to explore some of those symbolisms. So you were talking earlier about that whole work dynamic and, and the family having to take on work. One of the things that I did note in my second reading of the text was that when they started to work, their language also started to change. They started to address each other in, um, in third-person pronouns as opposed to first-person pronoun, which is uh, another level of alienation itself, another level of removing from, you know, so instead of referring to yourself as I, you would say, you know, um, Greet did this, or, you know, um, uh, Mr. S- uh, Mr. Gregor did this, or Mr. Samsa did this, or whatever it was. So 
that kind of distancing, I think, uh, is pretty much continuous throughout the entire text as well. So one of the things that I noticed, which I found really, really fascinating, is that the more they work, the more they started to become distant. And yet, uh, you know, because what, because this is just, I'm just having this memory and I'll have to go and, and, and check, but that last, the very last sentence is almost a reference back to nubility and, and in mm. the sense of the young, the, the, the sister who, through the course of the story has sort of gone from a, a sort of a rather in, in, insipid, worn out creature into almost a, a, a rebirth of a... I'm just trying to see if I can find um, the, the word because I, I can't remember exactly, but I, I'm sure that we have this sort of return to, to, to the to corporeal, which... Do, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, there's, And I think there's this sort of resistance to a singular interpret... There's a, there's a resistance there's, to a singular reading. Mm. And because you have a sort of a cast of characters you can actually see the way that each character's trajectory mm. changes. And, and it's interesting that, in a sense, you know, particularly because Gregor dies, but also not only does he die, but he actually degenerates into this, you know, much more insect-like creature who mm. wants rotten food and not fresh food and, mm. and who's sort of ceased to be disturbed by his own sort of... He ceases to be human, yes. Um, scuttles and even his reasoning, although he loves the music. He loves the music, which, which, which draws which, him out. Yeah, which I, I, I want to talk about in a little bit, but I, I sort of want to continue this this point that you that you're making there about um, the way that their text resists a singular reading, and I think that's one of the reasons that actually um, this text continues to fascinate people because every time you do one reading of it, you would find things about it that you think, ah, oh, but what about this or what about that or what about this particular idea? You know, I think it's it's very dense in that way because it doesn't um, it doesn't want you to take one single approach to a text. No, and the sister because the sister is so caring initially, and you can and, and this is where I think is actually quite interesting, sort of perhaps as a, as, a, as a sort of a feminist reading, because as soon as she's freed of her care, because by the end she actually gets pretty sloppy about looking after Gregor. It's just well, like, they I all do. I mean, it, I mean, for, for me, <laughs> she, mother as well. But. That, yeah, for me, she was the most problematic character in the entire text because I don't, I didn't know what to do with her. Mainly because I think she started off as a very sympathetic character, uh, and then towards the end she seems to be the most vicious towards. Yeah, but maybe you've never looked after anybody like before, Jimmy. Because I tell you, That's it's no possible. fun. You know, there yeah. comes a point when you've got to sort of stand up and say, "I've had enough." That's it. I'm going to treat them like dirt from now. Right. That's why she gets a little skip in her step as she walks out the door because she says, "See you later, Greg. All right." <laughs> okay, well, look, look, that, that, that's a fair point. I, I, I take that point. You all. just wanted to be dutiful all the way through. Oh, poor Gregor, poor Gregor. No, let the girl go. Well, yeah, I mean, for, for me, I suppose it, it, it was the fact that I kind of um, I lost sympathy for her. Um, <laughs> like on you, girl. Yeah, and, and you know what? Maybe my perspective will change once I've taken care of somebody for a long time, <laughs> and then I understand the frustration of that. But I think there's there's you a cold furniture around and bringing fresh food, and it's just there's only so long. <laughs> well, you say that because I, I recently listened to an interview uh, with uh, what's his name, Greg Wise. He, he's the um, husband of Emma Thompson, and they actually met on the set of uh, Sense and Sensibility, so he's an actor as well. And he wrote a book recently about his... Uh, he co-wrote a book with his sister who was dying of 
um, bone cancer, which apparently is one of the most painful cancers to die from. And he became her carer for the last three months of her life. And one of the things that he mentioned, which is very similar to, to what you mentioned there, is that you know, uh, is to not romanticize the idea of caring for somebody. You know, there are times he says where you want to kill her yourself because you know you have to do things like, you know, be in your underwear and shower your sister. And uh, there, there, there are some indignities that strips you of it's also the relentlessness yes. of caring. Uh, I mean, okay. caring for someone in you know that in those final stages, yeah. it requires you know sort of it takes you past what you want to do. Well, that's and that's, I that's think what that, and I think literature has traditionally represented women in roles of carers, whether whether desirable women or the good women have managed to overcome their personal needs in order to and selflessly, utterly selflessly, yeah, selflessly yeah. care for someone else. Whereas you know she does it for a while and she's really good about it and she's like the only one in the family who's been kind to good old Greg or the, the yeah. and then at After a certain a while, point she, like, she gets really sloppy she's no I'm done with this you know, take your rotten food and be done with it that's right and then she goes as I say she's released you know? yeah. and she's sort of and I think in Kafka's language of her sort of coming back into her body um, and we get this sense of um, and it, there is something as I say I can't find the exact word but the, there is something nubile about the way he describes her and because it's significant that she's you know she's 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 young um i think she had did she have a suit i can't remember if she had a suit and lost a suit or there's i just i can't i don't think she had a suitor i mean uh she she was a see i mean i think that's a really interesting reading it's one that i hadn't considered before because <laughs> you've never done anything i've never done anything like that you've never cared i've never cared for another human being so i can stand on my you know <laughs> little pedestal and you know <laughs> judge others for being so cruel. You haven't woken up and thought, no, I've had enough. I've, I've had enough, exactly. But, you know, I mean, as I said before, you, you did remind me of that interview and um, it's interesting that you should use the word, you know, had enough because that's what he said. He said it was quite... When she died, his sister... I'm going back to Greg Weiss again. When his sister died, it was actually at the point where he said, I've had enough. Like, this is the limit of where I can go. And it's almost like she knew that this is the limit and she said, okay, well, it's time for me to go now too. And so then so she left and it was... It was it was a beautiful interview, and I would love to read the book, actually, to see what he says about it, um, because he was brutally honest throughout the entire uh, thing. He says he loves his sister very much, which is why he wanted to be her carer you know, towards the end there. But he, he didn't want to shy away from the brutal reality of what it's like to actually care for someone. And he also didn't like the fact that people were using soft language around him, like, you know, oh, she's passed away. So, you know, we, we can't oh, be afraid of the word died. You know, she died, you know. It, Death and you know, D, the D word is not a bad word, and yet we've turned it into a word to avoid. Exactly. Gregor died. Gregor died, yeah. And maybe that's the that's why I found your reading particularly interesting because then it's looking at it from a carer's perspective now. And I think that's one of the reasons why this text can actually survive because it seems to invite these multiple readings. I never thought about centralizing or focalizing through Greet as as the character. Most of the, I mean, most people just go through. Gregor, because he's the person that we're invited to sympathise with. But it's a really interesting approach, and maybe that's the feminist approach that you're talking about, to, to see it through then. Mother-daughter. Mother-daughter. All daughter. the caring roles that I've played on <laughs> my life. <laughs> it's all coming out yeah. now. <laughs> it's just, um, yeah, yeah. No, no but I, I think it's, it, it is... But, but also, in a typically Kafkaesque style, we're not really invited into the interiority of these characters. No. We're not meant to be taking this sort of subjective 
subjective journey with them no. um, because it's not built into the story. There's the, exactly. the fable, and it's it's you know, to, to, to be honest, you know, I, I didn't really sympathise with Gregor either. You know, no, 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 it was never the intention. It was never the intention to, of to the do text so, because yeah. we're still in this sort of strange. Um, sort of fable world where uh, you know, sort of, we we've got the the sort of the sort of the more, I guess, archetypal characters mm. um, rather than you know, sort of these deep psychological uh, explorations, mm. which you know, I think have come to dominate the literature that you know, sort of, uh, especially the the sort of twenty first century to modernist literature. Whereas in actual fact, this one, no, it's not. It's it's mm. it's, it's, it's 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 meant to be. It's meant to be read with a, a, a different uh, sort of framework. Yes. Uh, and it's 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 absurd. It's surreal. Uh, it's it's also surprisingly, uh, you know, sort of realist and concrete in its it in, is. In its world it's... and its domestic setting and. The logistics of you know sort of uh, you know sort of people are coming and going and renting and needing food for this mm. and uh, supporting each other. There's a, there's a very uh, materialist vent which I think also probably leads into the Marxist yeah um, um, sort of critique. But, but also the but also the Kafkaesque as well. I mean, uh, I think one of the things that people often talk about when they talk about the, the Kafkaesque, it's, it's almost like being stuck in a bad dream. Mm. Everything seems so realistic, but you know it's 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 not. Uh, and that really, I think, for me, defines what the Kafka esque is about, and that's that's what this novel is. It's like everything is realistic, but we know it can't be because he's a bug. Yeah. <laughs> How could it be realistic if he's a bug in plus this? one minus one? Yeah, it's, it's it is. It's it's very. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense, but at the same time, it makes sense. And so you feel as if you're in this strange dystopian world that couldn't possibly exist, and yet it seems so uncannily similar to reality that uh, it le- leaves you a little bit discombobulated. I think you can kind of just feel very confused about well it's cognitively dissonant isn't yes it? i think that's the that's the that's the essence of it your brain wants to do thing one thing your brain's been trained to do a second thing mm. and yet it, the text resists it by throwing yeah. these uh you know sort of deviations in yeah and, and i think that's the key word to the text itself it, it resists like yeah. it, it resists multiple it resists certain readings it resists being pegged down it resists almost any category that you want to apply to it which can be a very frustrating thing because we're not used to reading in, in that way. I well, mean, I certainly am not. No, I mean, and, and but I, you are. You know, you like reading a lot of I those. don't. I don't. I think it's just the, the natural proclivity, you know, it's the proclivity of my mm. brain that I don't think in terms of, of, of genre yes. and category. So I don't have, I, I don't find that problematic. Mm. I find it much more problematic when things are meant to yeah. meet certain expectations. I, I, don't, I don't understand how a thing called literature does that with a book. I would much prefer something, and in fact, I almost... It was, I would seek out the book. Yes, exactly. I mean, we had lunch earlier. Michelle was telling us about one of her favourite books this year, which is Snow Dog Foot. I think it was, and it's the strangest thing I've heard. And so it doesn't surprise me then that something like Kafka would really appeal to you, especially something like the Metamorphosis, which is um, see, I'm a traditional reader. I like my basic, um, you know, meta narrative type of stories where. I don't know, the hero's journey or there's a quest narrative. I like those things. They make me feel comfortable. They make me feel as if uh, there's structure and order to the world, which I like quite a lot of. Yeah, you're a chaos girl. You you, you (laughs) like things uh, unpredictable and. Yeah, but also you see the. um, Because I I think I was actually thinking about. uh, Because there's obviously a, a, a reference back to Ovid's 
metamorphosis, metamorphosis yes. where you, you know you do have the, and obviously you've got the mythic quality of mm. uh, you know sort of you know sort of women turning into to trees you've got the um, I'm just trying to remember some of those 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 classic mm. uh, stories and actually all I can think about is Orpheus washing up his head washing up well, on the, the distant shores <laughs> after he's being decapitated and that's the only part of the metamorphosis that I can remember well there's, there's the arachnid myth you know when yeah. there's a spider there's, there's um, Medea Medea yeah, there's yep, Daphne yep, you know, yeah yeah Apollo and Daphne, so uh, often it's women who get turned into a lot of different things. So, so in a way, this is almost a, actually I can't think of a, a story where, where men are transformed into no, something. I, I, it's, it's been too long, except as I say, that it, it, it came to mind, and, and I think it is something. In, oh no, no, they do, yeah, because yeah, there there is um, the story of um, Procne and Philomela, and they're turned into. I think narcissists too. Yeah, and I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I was thinking of because they were turned in, into, what was it, Nightingale? And um, the king, whose name completely escapes me right now, would, would turn into another bird, a bird that hunts the Nightingale. So it's like this constant... Yeah, but, but, but I think those, you know, sort of t- those sudden turns mm. um, and even the very title... Um, of mm. you, you know, sort of uh, Kafka's Metamorphosis Ca- can't help but you know, sort of invite that uh, you know, sort of the holding of the two at once, mm. and the, the, you know, sort of the, the the radical change in the way that we, I think, anticipate story um, outside the world of myth. Mm. Um, I, I, th- I think gives Kafka's Metamorphosis some of its energy. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean. I, I love Ovid, um, probably more than I love Kafka. Um, well, yeah, because, I mean, it's... What, what's there to not to enjoy? Like? Yeah, like, well, yeah, yeah, Ovid yeah. has a lot of fun, I think, you know. Um, whereas with Kafka, as much as I was fascinated by by the reading of it, um, it it's not as fun as but, most of the But do you think it's word. also to do with the prose style, which yes. is... which know, is, again, it resists, you know, it, it, it forces you to read in a way that... It's the truncated sentences, yeah. and it's also the gaps, you know, that are left between sentences, mm. which I think create a sort of a sense of disjunction in the prose, which right. then resists that. Because I mean, I think with Ovid, especially on with a good translation, mm. you it's know, you're, it's a it's a proper page turner. Yeah. It's it's short, and and the language and is, they're like little mini stories in themselves, so, so they're very easy to read. Uh, whereas this one, even though it's a novella, it's quite short. It's I'm, dense. It's dense, and it's very difficult. And it's dense because a lot happens, and the details, the d- the details. You, you can't skim. <laughs> you can't skim the details because mm. the details are weighted, and I think that is something that uh, you know, sort of, the brain works hard to do. Mm. Um, and you, you know, sort of, when you put first and foremost, uh, sort of, really banal things up. Um, and and centre them in your sentence, it, it slows that reading process down. So I think that prose style wouldn't matter how you translated it. Uh, it's actually it's in, enmeshed yeah. in 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 the, in the very sort of um, it's enmeshed in the narrative. Yeah, because so, I mean, one of the difficulties I find with the text is I don't know which type of reading would be the most faithful reading or rather translation because sometimes I think. Um, I've read a translation where it's it's so disjointed that it's difficult to read. Um, but then a part of me thinks, well, what if that's actually the original 
intention that it should well, be disjointed. But dis- I think also when you read it, it's sort of Kafka's, you know, sort of his his short stories, his his mic. I mean, I think you quite happily call it microfictions, mm. um, and also uh, you know, sort of say for example, cast the castle, etc. You you can see it, it's it's very distinctive. The mm. style is there, and it, I think it, 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 it it's to do with the. Uh, that the structures of the sentence where you don't have the smooth transitions but you're rather much more likely to have, uh, you know, sort of the breaks, the, the sentences break. And I guess they do the work, often sentences do the break, the work of the story, which is what a sentence is anyway, you know, it is that sort of tiny story. But in Kafka's, in, 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 in Kafka's prose style, um, you know, whether it's, it's, it's the very short, short stories or if it's, you know, sort of the, the castle, uh, you, you know, you are asked to sit in, in that prose and it, it sort of, it, it tends to consume you, I think. And it's not, it's not the, it's, it's, it, it resists. I think just does, as yeah. the stories resist and, and require, uh, sort of the contemplation of multiple possibilities. Mm-hmm. The prose style itself does. It, it requires thinking. It's not a book that you can just pick up and read for fun. I mean, I think my mistake with Kafka, the first time I read it, was thinking, oh, I'll just have a quick read. Uh, and then, you know, about, Especially because it's thin. Isn't yeah, because it? like, then you think, oh, I can read book. this in a couple of hours. It's quite, and slow. Be, it's, yeah. it's quite slow. But it's a really it. slow read because you can't just simply... Uh, skim. Yeah, skim. You, you can't read it like you would um, a, a page turn. It's, it's not flowing. No, it's, it's, it's not, not Wilkie Collins or no, that it's, nature. It's, it's not flowing prose. But also because I think that, that because of it's also to do with the absence of the interiority. Mm. You know, the the, abs, the, the inter, I think that there's something when you, when you don't actually give the reader the interiority and the exteriority, um, you know, you, you don't get that sort of holiday in somebody else's mind that yes. I think we often look for in reading. Yeah, which um, is why it's hard to sympathise with so many of the characters because we, we don't get that access. And it's not the purpose. And it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not the, the purpose, purpose at all. And, yeah. and, and so I think that because, you know, sort of often readers are empathetic mm. souls. Yes. Uh, you, you know... You well, I, I'm definitely that way because if, if I can't um, sympathise or empathise with a character at all, I find it very difficult to read a text because I... Uh, I'm not invested anymore, and I think I did find that problem with with Kafka because I just found I wasn't invested. But it's very and it's very and much it's very down personal. to that archetypal yeah. characterization mm. where you're not inviting a, a reader to identify with a unique subjectivity. Yes. Instead, it, it's the the deeper shared types mm. of father son, and even though they're so peculiar, like I mean, they're properly peculiar characters. Um, well, it's it's the height of a dysfunctional family, isn't it? I mean, they're highly dysfunctional. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, but all of these notions that we carry with us, mm. like ideas of dysfunctional families, they're so contemporary. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I think that the notion that they, I, I, I don't know at what point in our, in <laughs> you know, sort of human history, we in thought there was this thing that as a functional family, because you know, like, what what does that mean? What well, does that look like? Where is that? Do you know what I mean? Where well, is, well wasn't it? Um, uh, Oh God! Why am I so terrible with names today? Um, the, the, the guy who wrote uh, *Crimes of Punishment*. Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, no, no, it wasn't Dostoevsky. It was Tolstoy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking of Anna Karenina now. Um, the, the first line of Anna Karenina is "All happy families are alike." Yeah. You know, so possibly it comes from that tradition, maybe that. Um, we're dealing, I suppose, maybe not with dysfunctional family, but with unhappy versus happy. 
but, but also because you know sort of for so much time in in sort of human history um you know sort of the, the point at which families came to be considered as as you know sort of happy um you know i guess sort of islands you know of, of refuge I, I don't think that that has has i don't i don't think that that has really correlations in the real world and and i think that the historicity of families where they've been much more you know sort of functional um traditional rigid you know sort of the roles that you play um you know i think it's it's too short lived i, I think you know sort of that lens or that idea of you know functional dysfunctional family mm. is a sort of a framework that i mean you yeah, know sort of is, is is historical and cultural and I mean, to, to some extent I, I agree with that but at the same time i, I mean I'm taking a look at this family and I think I don't think this family would ever fit into anyone's notion of a happy or or pleasant family to, to be in if 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 you've got the, the son who's the, the breadwinner and who feels disconnected from everybody else, uh, including his sister who loves him most, um, and then by the end of the story no, nobody cares about him anymore. It, it it's not exactly the kind of ideal family in anybody's situation or, or anybody's belief. No, but it, I think what I think what fascinates me is that you know, sort of throughout history, you know, we all and and across cultures, you know, sort of the family, the construction of the the, the family unit, and because obviously in in this particular family we have a son who's ostensibly playing the role of the father, mm. you know, sort of while you know, sort of I guess the sister is playing the role of the mother because she's the one who actually cares for the brother, yeah. not the mother. The mother seems fairly yeah. useless. Um, so yeah. <laughs> which which isn't so much the problem for me, man. I, I, I don't. I think uh, that's an independent or individual family unit. I mean, most families can operate within their own separate unit um, in that sense. But, 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 you know, just that, because I, I think that there exists those, you know, sort of those those traditional roles that, that change over time, mm. but that retain certain, you know, sort of that re- retain certain traces, mm. you know, right through today. Because, you know, we, there is still the expectation of, you know, sort of the, the parents as, as responsible, you know, sort of when that falls out of balance, you know. Um, so, so I think I think it is interesting to see the way the family is challenged through, you know, sort of because each particular historical period will challenge the family in different ways mm. and along different terms. Um, so, so I think the family is a really interesting lens with which to think through um, the metamorphosis, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree with that. Um, and that for me is one of the fascinating things about the story itself is, is the way it depicts the family um, and also the internal workings of the family. But it's almost as though, and you know, like, because I think what I'm thinking about now is actually uh, David Attenborough <laughs> thinking about, you know, sort of the wild and where, you know, sort of so many animal uh, groupings can only survive with a single male. Yes. You yeah. know, and, and so that the, the younger one either has to come through and defeat the father mm. or the father ends up banished. And it's almost as yeah. though, uh, you know, sort of the, the family unit isn't big enough for two men. No. <laughs> no, it, 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 it never is. But in this one, it's almost an, uh, an, uh, an eruption of the, of the natural order itself because instead of the younger male coming through and defeating the older male, it's the older male now yeah, triumphs. who triumphs, yeah. um, So, which is very problematic, I suppose, when we look at it. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. It yeah, and, yeah. And, I th- and I think particularly when you go back to that notion of the original sin mm. and, you know, sort of the idea that 
you know, sort of Cain, that, that that whole sort of uh, story of Cain and Abel and, and the first death mm. as, you know, sort of essentially the result of, of being thrown out of uh, paradise, you know. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, I always get mixed up with it. It was Cain who killed Abel, wasn't mm. it? Yeah. Um, so, so when Cain kills Abel, Abel mm. is essentially suffering for the sin of Adam. You know, Adam and Eve. And so, you know, to see that sort of playing out and what that might look like Mm. um, on the, you know, sort of within the... 20th century is 19, is 19, 18, 19, but you know, sort yeah. of late, 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 yeah, yeah, late 19, um, 20th, I think. It is yeah. almost a playing out of that, mm. um, because actually, I, I think, you know, it's a little bit rusty, but I think Adam and Eve <laughs> live on after Abel's gone, you know, and so then Cain becomes, um, you, you know, like it's an, it's an interesting, uh, sort of, um, hermeneutic to think through that family, yeah. um, and to look at the way it challenges the family, particularly unit. because you you can't introduce the apple without no. introducing um, the fall. Yeah, like you just can't. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it's like a transmutation of, of that whole um, of the, the, the of Genesis in in many respects, which yeah. uh, makes it. And I, I mean, I know you know, like obviously Walter Benjamin, you know, has always had that discussion of the fathers and the sons and the mm. sins of the fathers and, and the revisiting of that. Um, in terms of his own reading of, of Kafka's work. But, yeah, no, I, I, I think that it is... It's the sort of book that I think often you are amazed by it when you read it, but you perhaps enjoy it more when you're discussing it. Exactly. I mean, that's that's pretty much what I have always found about this book. I, I love discussing it because I think it's a, it's a book of ideas, mm. um, but the actual reading process for me was not fun. Um, and I think... But that's okay, though. I think, you know, we, we don't always have to have fun when we're, we're reading. Sometimes just the, the the fun of discussion makes the book worthwhile to, to actually do. I think it's, it's something that people need to consider a little bit more. You do a little bit of work here, but it, it, it pays off so much more later. So we're having a lot of really interesting discussion at the moment, not necessarily because I enjoy the book. Uh, I would recommend the book to, to certain readers, but not to every reader. Uh, but also I would love to talk about the book with other people and in particular I'd like to see what they think about the book because as we mentioned at the start it, it's a book that resists multiple readings so I'm interested to see how people do read it um, we don't have a lot of time left but I do want to quickly cover a point that we skimmed over and I said we would go back to which is the music mm-hmm. scene this is something that has always troubled me about um, it's fascinated and you know, perplexed me because for me, it's the scene. I'm a humanist at heart. I, I love things that are human. That makes my you know, heart glows. And You'd be and out there with Gregor listening I to the would, music. I You'd would, be there. I would. I would <laughs> just sort of risking being stamped on exactly, just so to get yourself exactly. some of that music. <laughs> yeah. So um, for me, this was the most touching scene uh, in the entire story. And then it's just sort of snuffed out so viciously <laughs> um, that... I'm, I'm interested to see what you think of, of that particular scene. Yeah. How did you read the music scene? I know, because I think there's a few things. That, I mean, because obviously the, the, the violin, the mm. instrument that's closest to the human voice, but also it's, um, you know, it's, it's uh, and I don't know why this point keeps sticking with me, but it does. It's 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 amateur music. Mm. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Like it, it is. It's, it's, yeah, she's not a, a professional uh, violinist. Um, no, I mean, and that's not to say that she couldn't be immensely no, competent and that, in fact, you know, sort of, especially at that time, you know, sort of people were uh, incredibly skilled and, and did entertain yes. the family. 
um, but it, 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 it actually, I think it's fascinating from the point of view that, you know, sort of by that point in the story, we've got definable moments of Gregor losing his humanity. Yes. You know, sort of uh, undeniable points at which we can see, oh, Gregor, He's you're here. going. You're yeah, sleeping. you're a bug. Yeah. So I think from the, the, the potency of the idea that somehow even more than language, even more than culture, you know, because I, I think that perhaps music is more primal than culture. It is. It you know, is, I think it precedes that. Mm. Um, and in that, it's it's also the sensory nature of it. It's the mm. immersive quality of the, the sound that, you know, sort of draws Gregor out. And it's also not actually necessarily a human response. Because mm. actually, do you know what I mean? Like, in, in many respects, a particular sound... Is so you a, see it as a primal, almost animalistic I, 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 I response. Actually, I, I see it as something... I, I think when I, I don't like to say the word animalistic because I think it's more... I think perhaps more sort of primal mm. and integral to what it is to being human, to what it is to being... Yeah, I think to what it's being, it, it is to being human because actually only humans create music. I mean, birds mm. sing beautifully, but they're not... It's not... They don't have the kind of enjoyment. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's functional in the many It's functional, respects. yeah. It's a and mating then, call or you know, it's a warning call. Or and it's effective there. You, you know, whereas this this idea that music is both primal and perhaps even more primal than language. Mm, yeah. um, and so it, it's not quite, you know, sort of a sign of his civilised, you know, sort of the, the remnant of his civilised self. It's not quite the, 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 the human in the sense of the um, cultivated human, the, the remnants of that human. It, it's something much more integral to that. So I, I do I, I do love that moment and, and it is, but it's also the siren, isn't mm, it? Yes. You know, it's yeah. the sirens. It's, it, it's um, you know, sort of the way that the, the, there's the irresistibility, the irresistible quality of music music mm. um, that's, uh, that that draws him out, but is also ultimately um, the beginning of the end. Yeah, it is. Because, I mean, I, I completely agree. I, th- I think, for me, my reading of it was that the music was... Uh, it brings out his humanity, but a, a very primal aspect of that humanity itself, taking us back on almost to the basics of what, what makes us human, as opposed to... Uh, animals, I, I guess, um, and music has always fascinated me because I think uh, I agree with you in that I think you know music is a way. That music probably you know, came before communication. We can probably communicate through music much easier than we can communicate. Well, I think that is one of the ideas that the, yeah. that language came from music yeah. rather than and, you know, music. The, and there's something about music that um, it's a way of holding groups together. Absolutely, yeah. and and I w- I've always been fascinated by the way that music works on memory as well. You know, music has a way of just bringing things to the surface, bringing memory, evoking memories in a way that almost nothing else that I can think of can can do. You listen to a song that you haven't listened to for twenty years, and you're it's like, the emotion oh. as well you know, it, it just takes you exactly. Yeah. It takes you almost right back to that moment. Um, I was also thinking of more uh, mythological uh, understandings of you know, music as well. In particular, I don't know why, but I was thinking about Tolkien and what he wrote um, in The Silmarillion. Uh, so in The Silmarillion, he proposed that the entire Middle-earth 
was created through the music of the gods. So, the, the, um, so, um, so yeah, that, that's a very profound and sort of widespread spread idea. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? That yes. out of chaos, our chaos, music, music creates, the music order creates and the, exactly. Yeah, um, and so you know, Tolkien was using a lot of um, myths, you know, to, to create that particular story mm. as well. But I was thinking about that, and then I was thinking about this one very personal, one very private moment where one for lack of a better word, creature has a response to music. Um, a response that, for me, humanises him, but also at the same time removes him from the current human label as well. So it both humanises and dehumanises him at the same time because it, it, it takes him away from what is considered human during that particular period um, because the way he is treated is in a way not quite human uh, and as you said that that was the beginning of the end for him as well so after that moment it's pretty much all downhill after that so the problem I have with my reading I guess is when I look at it from that perspective I think well why have that moment why bring that one moment in during that one that particular period uh, in, in the story that stage in the story itself so that's the thing that I always struggled with with, with this story. Yeah. In what sense? In the sense that you wonder why it was introduced at all, or in the sense why was it introduced so late, or why does it become the sort of the turning point? Yeah, or... I think why it was introduced so late was doesn't it. Doesn't it have to be well, in order to that, because that's... because also you know in a strange way, the point at which she brings out the instrument is also a point at which the the house is recuperating. Do you know what I mean? Because in a yeah. sense that the instrument has been away because their lives have been such drudgery and, and you know, mm. sort of in terms of, you know, sort of, I, I know that, you know, there's money issues, but also, I mean, there's a performance, there's a performativity to the act of, of, of that. I and, mean, it's, she's there and, doing and, it to impress. And, and that's, yeah, and, and that's the point that I, I guess I didn't quite understand because in that scene, both Greet and Gregor are... Uh, Humanized in my eyes, anyway. When I was when, when I read up, I sympathized with both characters, um, and then at the moment when I sympathize with both of them, the text then makes me dislike one because she. You know, um, yeah, but do you know what? I think it never had that impact. I mean, I think from the point of view of Gregor mm. going to you know drag himself to listen, that pulls on that that yes. know, sort of really pulls on my heartstrings. Um, but actually, her playing the instrument, especially for the slightly, I guess, mercenary. It is mercenary. I was just about um, to say it is very mercenary. You know, she's she's not playing music mm. for the love. You know, she's not sitting in her room. Yes, but thinking, he responds to it in in a very. But she hasn't done it with any intention of touching him. Yes, which almost seems to suggest that the, the music doesn't need to have that intent in order to inspire. But, that but also, kind of does the does, does you know sort of what? Does the does the officiator of the music necessarily have to have the intention, or does the music carry it itself, regardless of the intention of the? Well, yeah, that, I, I think that's so, that's, so that's she the might problem. Be playing it for for mercenary reason, but he's not seeing it from mercenary, or he's not hearing it from mercenary. Just, yeah, because it's it's the music itself. It's the music, and the music itself. In some sense, so is the suggestion that it was is the, the music itself is released? Yeah. From so, that, I think. So, so I suppose the, the point is: is the music does the music then transcend? the intent 
I think, I think it, 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 it does. Itself. I mean, I, I think it can't. Yeah. I think it can't because, in in actual fact, um, the music has its own um, existence outside. Yeah. See, and, 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 do you, and, and, or do you find that I, I find that very problematic because I mean, because I have major problems with. Okay. But lots so I'm gonna, of people I'm are use not it. very. Lots of people are not very soulful and yet they play beautifully. Or also, you can just press play on a machine. And and the music itself will still transport you. So yes, but but then it depends on the person who's playing that music. You know what have they you know imbued into the music to begin with? So I have a problem with if someone was to put something I don't know nasty into uh, a performance of a of a song. You know some sort of hatred or evil intent into it, and I'm so divorced from that intent that I can't pick up on that in the music. I always like to think the music in a way always reflects. The performer as well. Mm, I don't. I don't think I think of it like that. No. I, think, I think you know. Say for example, something like Chopin. Like yes. it's absolutely true. You know, you'll go through and you'll listen to different recordings to find the one that you like the most. Yes. But that's based on the quality. I'm never thinking. Well, is that Claudio or Rao, or is it this or is yeah, it that? Yeah. I'm. I'm never interested. In fact, I would say that I'm never interested. In the the biography of a person, who's, except no, no. when it's um, you know perhaps Rachmaninoff or something yeah. like that. When you look at that, I mean, but I'm, I'm not interested in the, the the biography, but it's not necessarily the biography that bothers me. It's it's more of the in, the intent. I would like to believe, and maybe I'm wrong about this particular belief, but I would like to believe that whatever our intent are would, would come across. I don't think so. I think terrible people play music beautifully. Yeah, and that bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that, that is never that aspect. I mean, it interested me, and I like it because, because I would like to believe that that shows that they have a soul. They may be terrible, but they have a soul because think, they can. I don't they think can so, still because play. my understanding so, of well, the this is the humanist inside yeah, of me. Yeah, but, but, but also, for me, it makes it much it, like it, it, it would. It would be much easier to interpret that text, or it would be much less interesting to interpret that text if she's just doing it because she's a dear little girl who plays music beautifully, and her soul is just, you know, sort of. Mm. But I don't. I'm much more interested by this, you know, sort of um, the, the way that in that moment we have this incredibly dimensional um, experience where, and in, in fact, if you're sort of interested in like that notion of alienation, then it's the ultimate, isn't it? Because you've got her doing something for this reason these people who don't seem to be particular you know and then you've got Gregor being mm. drawn out in perhaps the only sort of soulful response you know sort of you know so, yeah. so, so I, I don't I, I don't I don't think I see that connection between the way that she's playing the music to the music that she's producing to the problem you know in, in Gregor responding to that Mm. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I, I know what you mean, but I I, I resist that that reading <laughs> because because you want her to be playing the music. I want her with to, integrity. Not necessarily. No, I don't think or, she or needs to play it with integrity. But I think his response to it cannot be so divorced from the her intent. So if she was playing with mercenary intent, his response to it almost seemed to um, it goes beyond whatever. He, he sees something beyond her intent. He sees the beauty music of itself. I, th I think maybe I just have this sense of music itself mm. with its own entity, and so therefore, you know, sort of, um, even if she's, you know, as long as she's a relative, even if she's a bad player, it's still the first music that he's heard for so long, you know, and 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 it, yeah, it, and, and, and look, it, I have to say, you know, it's I, also I, the pipe. You know, yes, that whole thing absolutely. of being drawn in, and then you've got the sirens, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah, you know, you know, like that, that power of music, the power to draw. of music to, to, to draw, and you know, it can be used for evil intent, but we don't necessarily see it that way. It's seductive, it's it's primal, it's it's all those things. But 
you know, if I want to see music, and I do, uh, as something that reveals our humanity, I have to think. But does it have to be the humanity of the particular person who's performing it? Like, can't it be the humanity of the person who composed it? Who composed it? Because I think think the the brilliance of the music. Yes, it. it, Yes, it relies upon. Yeah, see, I'm I'm more more forgiving of the composer. Um, See, music is very unusual because music is not not like literature or any other um, type of arts where. You have the focus is on the creator of it. With music, the performer is almost just as important um, as the composer itself. Because I never the, think of that because you can uh, have so many different. Like, you, you can, and, and that's like you think about all of the musicians who've played, yeah, you know, sort of absolutely. Beethoven or, or yeah. Bach over the years. And you know, sort of what I think rests with me is Bach. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely not not the performers of Bach. Uh, no, see, I for me. The performance can make or break the actual piece itself. So I'm thinking of something uh, maybe a little bit easier to explain, which is let's say different versions of the same song. Mm. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So you know you've, you've got the same song, essentially the same words, the same melody, slight different arrangements based on different people and different ways of in- interpreting it. Uh, one song that I keep coming back to over and over again is "Strange Fruit," which oh, yeah, was originally yeah, performed yeah, by Billie yeah. Holiday. Um, and it was later picked up by another one of my favourite singer, Nina Simone. And when I listen to these two versions, I think it's fascinating because it's essentially the same song. But when you listen to Billie Holiday's version, you feel a sense of defeat. It's almost like she uh, she's resigned herself to this is the way that the world is. So she's singing about, for those who don't know the song, the song's about lynching, you know. Mm. So the strange fruit is the... Uh, basically a person hanging from a tree. Uh, horrible, horrific, you know, so, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, horrific imagery. But when Billie Holiday sings it, there's a note of defeat for me. It, it, it doesn't, it, it's, it sounds like somebody who's resigned to this is the, the way of the world. Mm. It's horrible, it's sad, it's, it's terrible, but this is the way of the world. When Nina Simone picked it up, which was about 10, 15, or 15, maybe 20 years later, her version is filled with such anger that for me, it's almost, yeah, it defines yeah. it's almost a, like a different song to me. It's almost like, you know, how dare you allow this but to happen? the fact that we're not, for example, you know, we're not given the name of the piece of music, mm. are we? No, no, we're, we're not. not. And, no. So, and so I think from that Yeah, but, but for me, that's it, it's that idea that, you know, the individual performer will add something to the music that only they can add to the music itself. And that's what we see. You know, we see in, in Billie Holiday a, a tragic, you know, figure who's sort of resigned to her fate. We see in Nina Simone an angry person who's um, who's angry with society for allowing um, the state of the world to get to, to that particular condition. I'm not saying this with any knowledge of their biography. I don't quite know much about Billie Holiday or Nina Simone's biography, but I'm basing it on these two interpretations of the song itself. Uh, and I think that that's what happens with music, that the, the individual performer will add their own experiences to the song, and that's what we pick up from it. And for me, that's the um, intangible beauty of music itself, that the individual performer can put their own view of the world into a song that was written by somebody else, and we would see that aspect of them. So when Greece plays this music, regardless of whatever the song is, what I see is that that's what Gregor sees. He sees the Greek that he knows, he sees the sister that loved him and that he loves, and that's what he responded to, which works fine until the music ends, <laughs> and then she doesn't treat him that way, she doesn't see him that way, so, and as you said earlier, 
she doesn't play it for even that reason. She plays it for mercenary reasons. She's playing it to entertain her guests, you know, so that she can make money from them, so that they will stay longer. And he doesn't see that aspect of it. So for me, it um, it, it contradicts that idea of music that I that I have. That it is a very personal thing. And when a performer performs it, we see or we hear that personal nature of the music itself. Yeah, well, I, I think that for me it, it, it just adds the complexity to the moment mm. where once again you find people, you know, sort of gathered together, you know, sort of under one roof, but performing and living with their own, I guess, separate motifs. But also I think for me it didn't trouble me because I, I think I do have that sense of the music having a, a life of its own and of course you know people play better or worse or put more or less in it and some people are mechanical and technical rather than emotional and you yeah. know all of those things but I still think that in a home that's been starved of, of music and, and a creature because he is by this stage I think more creature um, than human then that notion in it, it, to me I so basically think some, something's better than nothing well but I, yeah well I think I think also he's heard music and he's been drawn to it and I think it's like that music is the final nail in the coffin which okay. it is really yeah, because good... it's an apple in the coffin yeah it's an apple instead of a nail in the coffin yeah I think that's probably um, a fair yeah, interpretation but but you know as always uh, it is a pleasure to talk to you, Jimmy, and uh, Kafka, I think we've just proved, is endlessly, endlessly debatable. Endlessly debatable and takes you to places that you did not expect to go. Exactly. Um, so thank you for joining us this week uh, at, from the Lighthouse. Uh, hopefully you can rate and review us, send in comments at fromthelighthouse.org. Uh, and until next week, thank you, Jimmy. 